Hit it, Phil. Can it be the breeze that fills the trees with rare and magic perfume? Oh, no. It isn't the breeze. It's Jackson time. All right. Well, hello again, everybody. We are here again to talk about a little more about Rochester. This is Rochester's very first appearance as the character Rochester. So, so Eddie Anderson uh, becomes Rochester essentially in this episode. We have Eddie Anderson Jr. joining us and again, and which I think is awesome. We love having him and, and to have him talking about this very first appearance of his dad playing Rochester, I think is just gonna be amazing. And then we have Kathy Fuller Seeley here as usual and John Henderson. Uh, great to see everybody. And and let's just get into this a little bit. Um, Eddie, uh, was there anything that stood out when you listened to this episode? Uh, that Anything that surprised you? Or I know you've heard it before probably in things, but um, go ahead if you've got anything. I, I just, I love the boldness, yes. you know, uh, uh, the challenge, the risk, you know, uh, in my uh, journey of, of, of theater arts. My professor would always tell me, you have to take the risk. That's right. You have to take the risk. So that always stuck in my head. And I think the, that whole show was what it was because with what we keep saying over and over is breaking barriers. Yeah, so yeah. it's the risk. I, I know I sound like a broken record sometimes, but I just, I'm always, hey, my father, when I was younger, he bought me a Superman suit, okay? Yeah. You feel me? So that in itself, psychologically, you know what I mean? Yeah. He was like telling you, you're my hero. Yeah. You get it? Yeah. Go on and take the risk. Mm -hmm. Take it. Don't believe in barriers. What the whole Superman thing was what? It was taking the risk. That's breaking right. down what barriers and stuff like that so uh yeah that's what stood out to me yeah that that bold statement calling somebody a different name yeah <laughs> you know what I mean? yes and then when you were questioned like what did you say yeah you would you would think a person would go back and say no I, i'm sorry i meant mr benny yeah no he said Hey, it's Easter. See, what, what else am I going to call you? <laughs> so, well, and, and that's the, the yeah, I agree. And and the uh, the 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 thing that stood out to me on this episode was just how much it just was like Rochester's always been there. It wasn't right. wasn't oh, this is my. It wasn't like an introduction to this. It was it was sort of like oh, he's always been here. You just haven't seen this. This is. Right. We're, we're going behind the scenes with Jack and his valet, and and uh, we just never saw, saw this guy. But they've they've been together. Apparently, they make it sound like they've been together, which I love because it's like it just feels like oh, Rochester's always been there, and we just haven't yeah. known. And now yeah. we get a chance to experience Rochester and and this relationship. And we want to get more of it and more of it. Yeah. And as Eddie said in our last. Um, presentation which was the first time uh eddie anderson was on the show as the train porter this is the first time of course him being rochester but eddie was saying just how from the very get-go their relationship 
was on a deeper level, even than the script provides. And John mentioned that too, that there's a depth that they some I don't know how they get that, but it works. And I think, and they know it works. And so that's why they keep featuring Rochester more and more and more. And, that, and eventually he becomes a regular. Um, the other piece I thought I'd mention with this is we might, I, I don't know why, we have like gaps in between when we have Rochester on and gaps where we have no Eddie Anderson and then sometimes we will. My assumption is it could very well be that they're working around his film schedule because he's he's doing a dozen pictures a year through all this time. And I would assume if you have a choice between getting the paycheck for a picture or getting a paycheck for a radio show, I would assume the picture is going to pay you a lot more. And so you're going to want to do that. Uh, and at least until they make you a regular on the show, which they eventually do. And then he's, then he seems to do less pictures once that kind of happens. But, but at this point, he's, Eddie's busy doing all sorts of things and, uh, and they're lucky to get him on the show. They're lucky they had him at all because they might've had to pick a different actor, but, and, right. and, and another actor, might never have morphed from the Porter to the Rochester character. In fact, right. I, I find it hard to believe that some other actor would have pulled that off. I think it was because of the chemistry with Jack that they did that. Um, now, isn't there a story out there saying that someone wanted the role, almost had the role, but he was asking too much money? Have you heard that one? Yes, I have. And I don't remember who it was that was... Yeah, somebody was up for the role, but... yes. They were asking for entirely too much, too much money. So that actually, uh, and I don't remember if that was a black actor or a white actor or anything. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't even know. But it, whoever it was, I'm glad they were asking for too much money. Right, <laughs> me too. <laughs> <That's> yeah. Eddie. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, we'd have somebody else's son here, right? <laughs> I know. But and folks, you know, just so we're clear too it is if you listen to eddie's recreation that we entered uh eddie jr did one and we just put it out like last week or something on the podcast he's he's done it quite a while ago for the international jack benny fan club convention but uh but i thought you know i was we were going to release these episodes too and so i thought okay well i'll, I'll throw that out there but it's, it amazes me when you listen to this episode how much eddie the two Eddies sound like each other, the son and the, uh, and the father. And I think that's just delightful that I'm so glad that he hadn't developed his, his character voice yet at this point. And so we get a chance to hear what the real, what his real voice was. Cause as we've said before, it, the, the, the story is that Eddie Anderson had a messed up voice because he was saying paper, get your paper here. And he was a paper boy or whatever that would shout uh, out, you know, uh, yeah you know the news and stuff. that's just a story that's, that's and you can tell i mean i don't even know how we got that story sticking right, when right, it's right. obvious at the beginning it's not like he's he was a paper boy after he became rochester and then messed up his right. face it's like it's like that it was almost a toy, sounds like, acting choice by eddie anderson senior excuse that. me when i hear it it almost sounds like a joke my father would make you if that's what it feels like it feels like he threw that out there because, yeah, because he was crafty. Yeah. <laughs> you get yes. it? And he'll, that's one of his jokes. One, and another thing, like Kathy, if he would 
talk to you and maybe mention your name, your name would never be Kathy. It wouldn't. Uh, it would be Rathy. And he knows it's not your name. And uh, he would say, hey, Rathy. Uh, <laughs> no, no, my name's Kathy. He said, that's what I said, Rathy. So <laughs> you did it. He, he would so always never play around with your name. That's he great. Never. So that was one of his things. So when I hear that, not saying that that's what it was, but this is what it intuitively feels like based on what I know about how Pops does the running gags on and, and I so appreciate sort of learning this because just you say on the one hand, um, uh, Hollywood and the media wanted to make up stereotypical stories. You know what I mean? Wanted to make up little stories about right. um, performers and such to make them memorable. Right. But also from Eddie's perspective, you know, um, uh, uh, what a great way to make yourself memorable is to create a story yeah. to, uh, to emphasize your, you know, the distinctive of yes. performing voice you're creating. Absolutely. So. Yeah. He was always thinking. You get I just think it's yeah, interesting that he stuck with that voice, even when he was doing like films that weren't the Rochester character, where they mm -hmm. were, he, I don't think he ever, that I know of, in the future, used his normal voice. He'd always use that character he voice. He it down, though, in Gone with the Wind. Okay. Mm -hmm. he, yeah. he brought it down. He didn't do the whole, yeah. Now, yeah. when he did Topper and stuff like that, he, he had so many different variations. That it's, you know, when I watch. Yeah, I'd have to go back and listen to them again. Yeah, but you remember, it. too, now, comedic, comedic role. Yeah, you're going to have to have different timing. Yeah. You know, you got to do different things. But when you're playing a serious role like uh, Gone with the Wind. Yeah. And even Cabin in the Sky. I don't know if you've ever saw that. Yes, yes. Yeah. He's yeah. so great in Cabin in the Sky. That's a great film. Yeah. And he had the nerve to start singing. And all. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he knew how to use that voice to even sing with. I don't know how you hit a note. When you're straining your throat like that, I just yeah. and he was hitting notes with. It. Well, yeah. the thing is, I wish he would have released. I mean, he certainly released a song. Uh, uh, what what's the song he has? My, my oh my, or, yeah. yeah. Oh yes, oh my, oh my, yeah. Oh, my. But I would have loved if he released an album or two. I would have, I would have. Yeah, really yeah. He was that. going that way. You know, my father was always he had the uh, the yellow tablet. You know that. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. And he was always writing. Now that's what I did see as a kid. And he would call me down and say, hey, Edmund, come down. Come on. Tell me, how do you think this sounds? Right? And I'm a kid. And I don't get the joke, but I feel <laughs> I'm like, that's, ooh, that's funny. Because I wanted to go play. You get it? Get this <laughs> That's great, Dad. I'm gonna go play. <laughs> yeah, but he would use me to, uh, you know, as a sounding board. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. He would pitch whatever, but constantly writing. Wow. He also was uh, a songwriter, and he can actually write. The I saw him write the actual quarter whole notes, the beats. I mean, he was writing music, man. Wow. I'm talking without the piano. I'm sitting yeah. there watching him write notes. And I'm like, oh, man, you're really making it hard for me, man. As a kid, <laughs> how do I follow this act? You know what I'm 
Yeah, I, I tell he people was all a talented time, man. I, that's you know sure. when they say, follow, "Are you going to follow your father's footsteps?" Is you? I tell people all the time, man, I couldn't fit his baby shoes. <laughs> I really couldn't. He put a lot on me, man. So, yeah. Well, but you've done a lot of amazing things. So really yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate so, that. But it, yeah. he, he really set a good example for me. Uh, he, yeah, he gave me a good target. Yep. To try, and, to and he was with you until you were nineteen. Yeah, actually. So that's nice. I mean, he's there for your formative years and everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it would have been a lot different if he passed away five oh or ten God, years yes. earlier. So I had many moments with Pops in front of the fireplace. We got these two big chairs. Yeah. And he sat on the left chair and I was on the right chair. And we we actually would just stare into the fire. Yeah. And he would talk. And he also taught me. And people don't know, if you have a real fireplace, there's an art to actually lighting your fireplace. Yeah, right. To make that log burn, you know that. You yeah. know how to put the paper underneath the, yeah. the yeah. sort of, and, and position it, roll that big thing of wood, the big trunk, mm -hmm. and he had the poker, and he would tell me, no, that's not how you do it. Do it this way. Take my hand on a fireplace. But a lot of talking a lot of talking a lot of sharing in front of the fireplace in front of the flame uh and talking without talking just being silent and just kicking back and next thing you know he's carrying me upstairs i'm out you know what i'm saying i'm gone we got to be careful who listens to this podcast because i could see somebody say oh Rochester was a fire starter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He was in so many ways. <laughs> he was. That's exactly what he was. <laughs> yeah. well, John, did you have uh, anything to point out in this episode that you wanted to chat about or anything? I, I, you know, I would just take off from what you were saying, where he comes in fully formed, and that really works well with being able to do that dynamic where it's not like oh i'm new i got to impress him but they've been around a long time at one point jack says like oh you know i he bugs me I, i'd fire him but he's got such a iron contract or whatever yeah but, right and i was just listening to an episode from 1940 where uh rochester is saying you know i would leave mr benny but uh, my contract is to the pearly gates and beyond. So there, <laughs> it's sort of like the inverse of this same joke. So they're they're yeah. ribbing each other. I thought that yeah. was funny. That's funny. Well, and the fact that he's the only character that supposedly has actual good contract with Jack. Everybody else, Jack has them messed over and everything. But with him, they've actually somehow they joke about how he's got a good contract. They, they also joke that he doesn't get much money, but you know, that, different times, but anyway, but, but uh, it's just different, a different slant on the whole contract thing. Again, underscoring as they do so often, how smart the Rochester character was supposed to be. He was probably the smartest played as the smartest person on the show. Uh, maybe other than Mary, uh, those two were, where they could, didn't have to do that. They could have played him as a big, dumb black guy or something, and they didn't. And it, and it was really intuitive that they that they did that and important that they did that. And I think they realized the importance of that. 
Um, speaking of that, I'll, I'll go to um, real quick, just to, um, we know that Beloyne and Morrow, we talk about them a lot, are the writers for the Jack Benny show at this point in time. But in this first season, they really, they started uh, the fall, I mean, the, the, the spring of the previous season. But he mm -hmm. still, you know, wasn't sure after they took over for Harry Kahn, who was his writer for many years. Am I going to be satisfied with these guys? Are they going to be able to, to write things the way I want them to? So I'm going to bring in a, a seasoned pro, which is uh, uh, Al Boesberg, to come in and punch up the scripts. And so he was playing Al Boesberg more than both of them combined. for And they were doing the, the bulk of writing of the show. And all Al had to do was come in and look it over and see it and go, oh, that's funny. We'll just keep it at that. Or, oh, let me punch up this part. And let me punch up that part a little bit of the script. Um, and, and, you know, and Al would be called, a, I guess, a script doctor or whatever, someone that comes in and kind of punches things up. Uh, and, and in this particular, it, from what I hear, that, that we don't have that much information other than little bits and pieces. But it sounds Absolutely. like... The, the Eddie Anderson bringing him in as a train porter and continuing to work with Eddie was Al Boesberg's thing that he really wanted to develop this new character. And then when, when he becomes Rochester, uh, it sounds like Al Boesberg was the main person writing the Rochester character in this particular script. Then unfortunately, uh, this they would record it, of course, or, or, or do it live or whatever on Sunday night. But on Thursday uh, of this week, back whatever this was, eighty years ago um, or more, the uh, Albosberg passed away, and so he died before he got a chance to see the Rochester character actually played by Eddie Anderson. Other than maybe he saw a rehearsal or something, which I I don't even know if they did that early. I think they did them on the weekend, so I doubt he even saw it ever done he just had had written this um but what a gift to in your very last week of life have a part of creating a character that would last for the next 30 years and i think that's a just a wonderful gift that he gave us was this rochester character and that he laid a template for the writing of it where it was written that that character would get the best of jack over and over again, and he does in this episode as well, and that all the pieces were there. All they had to do was flesh them out a little bit more and, and really make that character be what it came to be and what, what Eddie Anderson brought to the plate was amazing. And this all worked. It's, 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 it's the writing in combination with the acting that gets us to a whole nother level and, it, and a breakthrough, breakthrough for black, a black actor to be in radio and have this kind of part. There's, I mean, there's really not, at this point in time, in 1937, there's not any other black actor, like uh, Eddie and I were talking ahead of time, you got Amos and Andy where they're doing these black stereotypes, but they're white people doing it. Uh, it. And he did, Eddie did open the door because in the next number of seasons, there would be some black characters that would show up, black actors that would show up as characters on different shows. Uh, there was an actor on uh, Red Skelton's show that was well, a black. That's, Is that's, that Man that's, Van Morland? That's Butterfly McQueen. Butterfly McQueen after 1940, in 1947. 
So we're talking a whole decade here. Right. That is, right. I mean, it's such a great point. Right. Uh, right. Well, and, and and I'm trying to remember the name of the actor. There was a there was a black actor, male, that was on Red Skelton's show as well. Um, was it Mantan or not? No, I don't think so. I can't remember. I, I want to say it was wonderful was in his name or, but he, he played it. It was a really interesting character. I liked it, but, and they, and then like the first season he's on, they play that character up some, but then I think what happened was Red Skelton thought he was getting too big. And so then he starts the next season playing it down and eventually he goes away entirely. And I can't remember if that was, due to the war and the, and the actor actually getting drafted or not I, it was it was around that time frame uh but i have to do more research because i think it's 41 42 that he's that he's playing around with him but i don't think he would have given the actor that chance without rochester's being this breakthrough performance that everybody knew about right um and and the door was open for so many people uh through through eddie and we'll get into that more as we get into some of the other episodes we'll be bringing you uh, later on. But uh, anyway, is there anything else in this episode that anyone wants to talk about? Go ahead, Kathy. Well, well I'd like it. You, you mentioned it before, Daryl, but um, uh, uh, thinking about what the Rochester character did for the Benny show as a whole, as a character, uh, just as you said, it opened the show up to Benny's private life uh-huh. and offered a, a myriad of new a plot possibilities because they'd really been stuck about, I mean, b- back in 1932, we're around the microphone in the studio putting on the show. And even though for many years they were very careful that Rochester didn't go on the radio show, but but the all the, the fictitious radio now, show, yeah, yeah, right. All now, all the stories that could take place at Jack Benny's house or driving around or you know, sort of off the air, it really presented a whole new sort of sitcom, uh, situation comedy aspects. Yeah. Yes. Uh, um, at, um, uh, back in 1932, when they had played with making Jack and Mary be in love, that could have become an I Love Lucy, you know, but they quit, they ended it after one episode. Right. But here in 1937, uh, as I said, a whole new realm of, uh, of uh, plot possibilities that would right. really help keep the show evergreen. So. Well, and that, and that, to me could be why they didn't go that avenue to begin with all that often they they have rochester every once in a while it could have been because like i see the film stuff but it could also been they're going into this new area that they're like okay how do we do this how do we feature his home life and everything and eventually as they as they delve more into they realize boy this is a rich treasure trove of storyline that we can do just like you're saying kathy and it opens the show up to a lot of of different dimensions of storylines that they wouldn't be able to do without the rochester character and and so having those things at home i mean i think it allows them to to do the whole uh visiting with the colemans a, a decade later and having the, the colemans with with calling him winchester and the whole thing i mean it, it's just uh Manchester, 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 yeah. Manchester. Um, and it, and that's delightful how that all plays out too. And I don't think that would have necessarily happened without the the Rochester character cementing that home life for Jack, and where we can see that 
look into Jack's home life, supposedly, right? So anyway, but that's a, a great stopping point. We'll, we'll stop there. And uh, I hope everybody enjoys this episode, the very first appearance of Andy Anderson as Rochester. And uh, we'll see you folks next time. The Jell-O program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston and Phil Harris and his orchestra. The orchestra opens a program with Jericho. Tomorrow is the first day of summer, the season for light, refreshing meals. And one of the best ways to make them light and refreshing is to serve Jell-O often. No matter how warm the weather is, everybody will welcome a cool, quivering mold of colorful Jell-O. For Jell-O's extra-rich fruit flavor is just the refreshing note on which to finish any meal. And don't forget, too, that Jell-O makes marvelous summer salads. But whether you serve Jell-O for salad or dessert, be sure you get the real thing, genuine Jell-O. And you'll find genuine Jell-O on the shelves of grocers all over the country. And now we would like to take this opportunity to extend the best wishes of Jell-O to the National Retail Grocers in Boston this week. And we'd also like to thank the Retail Grocers of America for helping to make Jell-O the fastest-selling gelatin dessert in the entire world today. So next time you go to your grocer, ask him for genuine Jell-O. was Jericho played by the orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this being Father's Day, we bring you Jack Benny. Jalo, uh, yeah, this is Jack Benny talking. And Don, I appreciate your being topical, but what was the idea of connecting me with Father's Day? I mean, what was the inference? Well, uh, Jack, speaking for the entire cast, we feel that you've helped, guided, and inspired us throughout our long association, so we look up to you now as a father. Oh, thanks, Don. Thanks. For a minute there, I thought you were kidding about my age. (laughs) Oh, no, I wouldn't do that, Jack. No. Why, we all have to reach that rocking chair stage. (laughs) Well, old rocking chair ain't got me yet. (laughs) No, but you better dust it off. Now, Don, lay off or pop a spank. Imagine me putting Wilson over my knee. Is there a Derrick in the house? Anyway, Don, it was sweet of you all to regard me as a father on this day. Ah, here comes one of my children now. Hello, Mary. Hello, Daddy, and I don't mean sugar. Oh, now, Mary, don't you start kidding, because this is really one day the old man gets a break. Say, Jack. What? Why do they always have Father's Day in the middle of the month? so he can enjoy his present before he gets the bill. Wow! By the way, what did you send your father this year? A check. You know me, Mary. A nice, fat check. What'd you send your dad? A poem. You can't cash that either. A poem? Well, well. You want to hear it? No, I don't, and I'm glad I'm not your father. So is Mama. Certainly quick on the trigger today. My goodness. Hello, Kenny. Hello, Pop, and I don't mean soda. Well, at least you know what day this is. That's a surprise. It was to me, too. Hmm. Say, Jack, I had a heck of a time picking out a present for my father. I didn't know what to get him. 
Well, it's just a thought, Kenny. Why didn't you take him out and buy him a nice dinner? Well, why didn't you buy him a tie? He hasn't got much of a neck either. Well, that is a problem. Say, why didn't you get him some handkerchiefs? He hasn't got a nose, I'll scream. <laughs> Gee, I don't know what to get. Well, give him a sleeping powder, and when he wakes up, it'll be tomorrow. You know, Jack, I don't want to brag, but I think I uh, sent my dad a real novelty. You did? What was it, Don? Said he, falling into the trap. Well, uh... I shopped around until I found half a dozen neckties, each one corresponding in color to a different flavor of jello. Oh. You know, strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. Oh, yes. There's nothing like a lemon necktie. <laughs> oh, nothing. Oh, wasn't that clever of me? Yes, but Don, don't you ever think of anything besides jello? Well, I think of my wife. I bet she's a strawberry blonde. Mary, that's not nice. Oh, hello, Phil. Hello, Jack, and I don't mean what you owe me. Say, what is this, anyway? Jack, did you see my act at the Paramount Theater this week? Why, sure, Phil, and you're doing a swell job. I was there Thursday night with Mary. Uh, we went Thursday afternoon. Oh, that's right, Thursday afternoon. It's cheaper, then. Uh, quiet. <laughs> But I want to tell you, Phil, you're certainly doing great business, considering the hot weather. Oh, yes, the house has jammed every performance. And you know, Phil, I like the way they advertise your act in front of the theater. What does it say? 20 degrees cooler inside. Oh, well. <laughs> I don't see how you boys can play such hot music in such a cool place. We got an oil stove in the tuba. Oh. <laughs> Why don't you put long underwear on the piano? I'm wearing that. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Hello? Yes. Speaking. Well, gee, that's great. What time? Oh, sure, I'll be right over. Goodbye. Well, fellas, you'll have to carry on without me. Why? What's the matter? I got to go rush right over to the studio. They finally got to me, and they're shooting my big scene today. Well, congratulations. So long, fellas. So long. Oh, now, wait a minute, Jack. You got to hear my father's day poem first. But, Mary, this is important, too. They're waiting for me. Let him wait. Dear old father, dear old father. Mary, I gotta how go. How I love to sing your praise and to bring you fondest greetings on this day of days of days. Look, Mary, I've Next got... Neckties you get by the score. Oh. Some are new and some are tore. Well. <laughs> and cigars you get galore. Eeny, meeny, miny, more. Mary, even if this was good, I have to go. Uh, this is the last verse. Oh, uh... Happy New Year, dear old father. New Year? How'd that get in there? I don't know. <laughs> Be happy, dear old father. When you're happy, I am too. So be happy, dear old pappy. Get up and do the Susie Q. Susie Q? Can I go now? Uh, one more verse. Oh, no. So long, fellas. Mm, he wouldn't say that. Long fella. Sing, Kenny. Another you, 
I would shed a million tears if ever we were through. Never in a million moons could you ever be surpassed. And darling, for a million June, this love of ours will last. There would be no world for me if ever we would part. Where I go, your name will be right on the tip of my heart. Just like you appear, is there any greater glory, any greater thrill? No, never in a Never in a Million Years from the picture Wake Up and Live, sung by Kenny Baker. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we will switch you over to Jack Benny's dressing room at the Paramount Studio and see what's going on. Take it away! Oh, Mr. Westmore. Yes? Look, Wally, I don't want to tell you your business, but don't you think you put too much makeup on my cheeks? Well, I lost my glasses and I can't see a thing without them. That's too bad. Why, only this morning I put W.C. Fields' nose on Marlene Dietrich. <laughs> oh, well, she'll find out when she sneezes. <laughs> Gee, I hope I look all right. Now, let me see. Uh, where did I put that powder puff? It's in my ear. Oh, yes, I'm always leaving that around. Hmm. Oh, Rochester. Rochester. Yes, sir, boss. Uh, did you lay out my full dress suit? Yes, sir. Did you? Uh, hmm? you mean the one with the red stripes? No, the black one with the tail. You've been pressing the pants for an hour. Are they done yet? Yes, sir, they're done to a crisp. And shine my shoes, too. Oh, Mr. Westmore. Yes? I wish you had your glasses. You got too much eye shadow on my lips. Who ever heard of blue lips? Don't worry, they'll photograph green. Green lips, that's fine. If I pucker them up, I'll look like an artichoke. <laughs> Fine mess. Now, let me see. Where are my tweezers? Oh, yes, here they are. What are you going to do, pluck my eyebrows? No, just loosen them. Oh. <laughs> Hold still now. She loves me. Ow. She loves me not. Ow. She loves me. Ow. Hey, is there any other way you can find out? <laughs> Gee whiz, you think I had petals. Now, what's next? Oh, yeah, shall I put on your toupee? No, I don't think I need one. I, I have hair enough, haven't I? Uh, yes, if you're going to play the part of a coconut. <laughs> well, let it go till I see the script, anyway. Well, I guess that's all. So long. So long. Hey, that's the window. It's too late now. Goodbye. <laughs> see, my makeup doesn't look so bad at that. Gee, I wish they'd send for me and get started shooting. Operator, get me Mr. Walsh, the director, on stage five. Walsh, Walsh, like in Rare Bit. 
Come in. Pardon me, Mr. Benny, but did I leave my tweezers hanging in your eyebrow? Just a minute, I'll look. Oh, yes, here they are. I thought it was an eclipse. Thanks. <laughs> hey, what a careless guy. Oh, hello, Mr. Walsh. Uh, this is Jack Benny. Are you ready for me yet? Well, I'm... Yes, but... Well, I'm not used to being kept waiting, you know. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not trying to rush you, but I think that... But I think that... But I think that... But I... Oh, goodbye. <laughs> These directors are so independent. Hey, Rochester, are you shining my shoes? Yes, sir, but this tan polish don't seem to take on patent leather. Well, keep on. I gotta have them. Okay, but you better wear long spats. That's fine. Oh, hello, fellas. Hi, Hi Jack. Jack. Thought we'd come over and see you. Are you surprised? Yeah. Well, Mary, I'm already made up and ready to shoot. How do I look? You look like a rainbow that got caught in an egg beater. <laughs> well, it's that darn makeup man. He forgot his glasses. Well, by the way, Jack, uh, what's your picture all about? Well, Don, the way the story goes, as I understand it, I'm married to Ida Lupino, but Gail Patrick is also in love with me because she thinks that my wife is crazy about Richard Arlen. I see. You do? Well, but <laughs> Richard, but Richard, you see, whose secretary has been going around with my uncle, is nuts about Ida Lupino's sister who is infatuated with the Yacht Club boys. <laughs> you know, the eternal triangle. But, Jack, that sounds as though it would be very confusing to an audience. Well, the whole thing is explained by a big dance number. Who's going to do the dance, Einstein? <laughs> well, it's not that complicated. Gee, it's all clear to me. There, you see? Well, I can't make head nor tail of it, Jack. What's the name of your picture? Charlie Chan in a revolving door. It is not. It's called Artisan Models. Artisan Models? What's that got to do with it? Well, you've got to give it some title. You can't call it Ham and Cabbage. <laughs> Why not? Because I'm on a diet and shut up. <laughs> you know, I didn't write the picture. Well, someone should have. Oh, poof. Come in. You're all ready for you, Mr. Benny, on stage five. Okay, be right with you. Come on, fellas. Can we watch you work, Jack? Sure, the more the merrier. Hey, Rochester, are my shoes ready? I'm just shining the laces now. Well, hurry up. They're waiting for me. Hurry on, fellas. That's when there's a rotten egg.
buddy. Now settle down. Well, I guess they're about ready to shoot. You know, I'm a little nervous today for the first time. Funny, an old trooper like me. You know? Oh, you'll be all right, Jack. Why don't you sit down and relax? No, oh, I thought I was sitting down. <laughs> Say, Mary, were you this nervous when you shot your first scene? Yes, but I was doing a rum, but nobody noticed it. Oh, oh, I think. Hey, Jack, look who's here. Oh, hello, Andy. Hiya, Buck. Thought I'd come over and watch your work. Well, I'm glad you did. Gee, it's hot under these lights. I hope my makeup isn't running. How do I look, Andy? You look like Crosby's horse on a muddy track. <laughs> Me, I am a little splotchy, ain't I? I don't know what's the matter with me today. I feel kind of faint and dizzy-like. Why don't you hold your breath and count ten? Candy, I haven't got the hiccup. You will in a minute. I will not. Imagine me kissing Ida Lupino while I'm hiccuping. I tried it once and caught her right between the eyes. <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. Well, it was better than nothing. <laughs> Be ready for it a minute, Mr. Benny. Okay. Oh, pardon me. It's all your fault, Mary. Say, Buck, before you start shooting, I'll be glad to give you a few pointers on your love scene. Why, Andy, what do you know about love scenes? Plenty. I'm Clark Gable, Robert Taylor, and Charlie Butterworth rolled into one. Charlie Butterworth? What do you got him in there for? Modesty. <laughs> Well, all right, Andy, what's your... Darn it. What's your system? Well, Buck, there's different ways of making a gal like you. Some fellas win them one way and some win them another. I got mine on bank night. Quiet. <laughs> what are you saying, Andy? Well, if you want a gal to fall in love with you, you gotta treat her rough. Be hard-boiled. But, Andy, last week you told me you were always running out getting the girls' sandwiches. What's rough about that? I put too much mustard on them. That's what. <laughs> my, my, he is rough, isn't he, Mary, huh? Yeah, he's a regular cave-in. <laughs> he sure is. Huh? Be ready for it a minute, Mr. Benny. Okay. <laughs> isn't this awful? <laughs> Hey, Rochester, have you got my shoes? Here they are, boss. Those are my sport shoes. Where'd you ever see sport shoes with a full-dress suit? In the Harlem Esquire. <laughs> well, run over to my dressing room and get my plain black ones and hurry. Black coat, black shoes, black pants. Yeah. You was the most monotonous man I ever worked for. <laughs> I'd fire him if he didn't have an iron-bound contract. Hey, Bill. Bill, is Jack Benny on the set? Oh, that's Raoul Walsh, my director. Here I am, Mr. Walsh. <laughs> Gosh. Hello, Jack. Now, first I'll explain this scene to you, and then we'll have a good rehearsal. Well, I hope you're not going to give me too much to do on my first day. Don't worry. No. Now, as the scene opens, we find your wife and her lover seated in the drawing room. I see. And you're in the same room, hiding in a barrel. In a barrel? Uh, what's a barrel doing in a drawing room? The roof leaks. Go away. <laughs> but look, uh, Mr. Walsh, I'm sorry. Look, if I'm in the barrel all the time, I mean, how will the audience know it's me? Well, every now and then you can stick your nose out of the bunghole. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Of course, there, there won't be any expression there. You know. <laughs> once your ear, you can wiggle it. Nobody asked you, Kenny. 
There was just some way of identifying me. In I it. have a suggestion, Jack. What is it, Don? Well, now, why don't you paint Jell-O in big red letters all over the barrel? That would identify you. Now, yeah. there's an idea. Yeah, but wouldn't that sort of detract from my nose? We'll there. figure that out later. Oh. <laughs> now, now, to get back to the scene, you overhear your wife and her lover planning to run away. Uh-huh. And as they start to leave, you stick your head out of the barrel and holler, Hey! I holler, hey. See, then what? You duck back in the barrel and we fade out. (laughs) Oh, I see. But gee, poking my head in and out of a barrel like that, I'll I'll look something like a turtle, won't I? (laughs) That's it exactly. Gee, Mary, I don't see why they have to give me, get me for this part. Yeah, with so many turtles out of work. Oh, well. All right, we're ready for a rehearsal. Where's the barrel? It's just being painted, Mr. Waltz. Well, make it snappy. Yeah, I'm glad they're not ready yet. It'll give me a chance to memorize my part. <laughs> Say, Jack. What? Look, isn't that your makeup man over there painting the barrel? Where? Oh, yes. So <laughs> wonder he can see it without his glasses. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Westmore. Hello, Marlene. <laughs> Marlene. We're all ready, Mr. Waltz. Good. Places, everybody. Right here, Mr. Waltz. I'm ready. Come on, Jack. Get in that barrel. Yes, sir. Gee, it isn't dry yet. <laughs> oh, well, my hands won't show. <laughs> Mary, I'm in the barrel. Gee, it's lonesome in here. What do you want, a floor show? <laughs> now, this is a rehearsal. Remember, Jack, you hear them talk, and when they start to leave, stick out your head and holler, Hey! Hey, I got it. I got it now. Quiet, everybody. Action. Oh, darling, how much longer must I wait? Don't you love me? Yes, dearest. But what can I do about Gerald, my husband? That's me, folks. Quiet and pull in your head. (laughs) I'm sorry, Mr. Walls. Continue. Oh, you never cared for him? Are you going to give up our one chance for happiness? No. No. Then fly with me tonight. Come, let us away. Yes, my sweet. Away. Hey, there. (laughs) Oh. How... How is that, Mr. Walsh? It's not hey there. It's just the one word, hey. Well, I thought by adding the word there, it would give me a feeling of being worried, you know. Leave it out. The script is too long as it is. (laughs) Well... You're the boss. You're the boss. Let's try it again. (laughs) Get back in the barrel, Jack. I know what I'm doing. Say, take these nails out of here. One more rehearsal. Places, everybody. And make it a good one. Action. Oh, darling, how much longer must I wait? Don't you love me? Yes, dearest. But what can I do about Gerald, my husband? Darn it. Oh, you never cared for him. Are you going to give up our one chance for happiness? No, no. Then fly with me tonight. Come, let us away. Yes, my sweet. Away. Yes, my sweet. Away. (laughs) I forgot my line. (laughs) Isn't that awful? (laughs) It certainly is. Sorry about that, Mr. Walsh, but it's hard to remember two things at once. I mean, I have to say hey and stick my head out of the barrel at the same time. Well, well, I'll make it easy for you, Jack. Just say hey and don't stick your head out of the barrel. Oh, no! 
next time. Just happens to be one of those words that gets you, you know. Oh, Jack, hay isn't such a hard word to remember. Just think of what a horse eats. What a horse eats, mm-hmm. hay. Uh, say, that'll help. All right, Mr. Walsh, here I go again. Yeah, I wish they'd put a door in this thing. All right, now. Ready, everybody? This is a picture. Light them up. Camera. We're turning. Action. Oh, darling, how much longer must I wait? Don't you love me? Yes, dearest. But what can I do about Gerald, my husband? Oh, you never cared for him. Are you going to give up our one chance for happiness? No. No. Then fly with me tonight. Come, let us away. Yes, my sweet. Away. Oats. your fault, Mary. This is awful. Oh, what's the matter with you, Jack? There's nothing the matter with me. It's the part. <laughs> hey, what kind of a dramatic speech is that? <laughs> Why, you can't act any more than that barrel. <gasps> I can't, eh? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, what are you laughing at, Mary? This is a fine picture. Artisan hiccup. <laughs> oh, does Paul Muley have to go through with this? Hey, Buck! What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> is a great favorite with everybody, and here's how to make the grandest ice cream anybody ever tasted. Make it with Jell-O ice cream powder, a wonderful new product that makes rich, creamy ice cream quickly and inexpensively. Why, actually, with Jell-O ice cream powder, you use less cream and you get more ice cream, and you make it right in the freezing trays of your refrigerator. Or you can use a hand freezer and get the same delicious results. Just combine Jell-O ice cream powder, some milk, some cream, and sugar... And soon you'll have a quarter and a half of velvety, rich, mellow ice cream. A quarter and a half of ice cream. Because Jell-O ice cream powder makes twice as much ice cream as most other such products you can buy. Jell-O ice cream powder comes in five flavors. Chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, lemon, and maple. There's unflavored, too, so that you can make any other flavor you prefer. Serve ice cream made this new modern way with Jell-O ice cream powder soon. Ask your grocer tomorrow for Jell-O ice cream powder. This is the last number of the 38th program in the new Jell-O series, and we'll be with you again next Sunday night for our final broadcast of the season. I'd like to announce that the part of the director was played by my good friend, Robert Emmett Keene. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as a little surprise, I'd like to introduce another very dear friend of mine who happens to be up here tonight. A personality whom I know you will be glad to hear is returning to the air in his original role of Captain Henry of the Maxwell House Showboat. Ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Winninger. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Charlie, I'm happy to hear you're coming back on the showboat program. Uh, When do you take over the helm? On July 8th. July 8th, huh? Yes, sir. We're going to truck on down the Mississippi. Well, tell me, Charlie. Oh, pardon me. Uh, what kind of a show are you going to put on for the folks? Well, now, it's going to be the same old showboat with a brand new crew. It is, huh? Yep. You know, Jack, I'll be mighty happy to greet all my... I'm sorry. Oh, it's all right. It's all right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'll be mighty happy to greet all my old friends. Yeah, say, Charlie, you know my gang here, don't you? Don oh, Wilson, sure, sure. Bill Harris. And yeah. this is Mary Livingston. Oh, hello, Mary. You're a mighty pretty gal. Thank you. 
Well, Captain, how about taking me for a ride? Mary, that's Captain Henry of Showboat. Oh, I thought he had a yacht. <laughs> Don't pay any attention to her, Charlie. <coughs> I won't. <coughs> and Charlie, Charlie, this is our tenor, Kenny Baker. Oh, hello. Glad to know you, Kenny. Hello. Kenny, you remember Charlie Winninger. He was in that picture, Three Smart Girls. Which one was he? <laughs> now, Kenny, cut it out. Oh, it's all right, Jack. I like the little brat. <laughs> well, Charlie, I want to thank you for coming up here tonight. I'm tickled to death you dropped in, and I want to wish you continued success in many happy dockings of showboat. Well, thank you, Jack, and I hope all my old friends will be listening in on July 8th. Oh, uh, Captain Henry, you want to hear something? Oh, what is it, Mary? Uh, dear old father, dear old father, how I love to oh, say your friend. Oh, good night, folks. Good night. Look for the new showboat program with Charles Winninger's Captain Henry with the comedy of Jack Haley, the singing of Nadine Connor, Thomas Thomas, and Virginia Barrel with Warren Hall and the music of Meredith Wilson. Remember the date, July 8th. The Jell-O program comes to you from Hollywood over the Red Network of the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs>